0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
1: Warning. Guests of The Roy Green Show may experience the truth, being in the hot seat, and in some cases, crying.
0: The Roy Green Show continues on the Chorus Radio Network. What was it Justin Trudeau said, uh, Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian. And that had to do with the question about whether or not the federal government of Canada should withdraw the citizenship or revoke the citizenship of a convicted terrorist who happens to be a dual citizen, like the leader of the Toronto 18, who was convicted of uh, having plans to blow up trucks in downtown Toronto and commit murder and mayhem. The conservative government of Stephen Harper passed legislation which allowed the revoking of citizenship of a convicted dual-citizen terrorist. Mr. Trudeau, though, said, no, a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian. We can't do that. We won't do that. So I have a question for the prime minister, and it has to do with the mother of a Canadian who converted to Islam, became radicalized, joined ISIS at 22 years of age. His name was Damien Boudreau from uh, Calgary, and he was killed in a firefight in 2014. So I spoke with uh, his mother, Christiane Boudreau, whose name you may recognize because she's been in the news and has spoken about her son and has spoken about her intent to work on de-radicalizing young people who were radicalized. And she's done so in Canada and with the assistance of people in Europe. Well, I'm going to play back an interview for you a little later in the hour that I recorded with Christiane Boudreau about two hours ago. And uh, she's in France now because she couldn't get a job in Canada because everybody would point at her and say, oh, you're the mother of the terrorist. So she's one of the few parents of young people who actually joined the terror organizations to come out publicly and speak about what her intent is, and her intent is to de-radicalize and help with the de-radicalizing process. So she flew to Paris. I'll only take a few seconds here, and I'll talk to Scott Newark. She flew to Paris on a Canadian passport, a valid Canadian passport, and while she's been in France, the Canadian government has invalidated her passport and taken away her opportunity to return to Canada. She's in France without any status. She can't come home to Canada because the federal government of Justin Trudeau, a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian, has revoked her passport and her travel privileges. She can't come home. And apparently, Ralph Goodale, Minister for Public Safety, when he was asked about it, said something, well, it has to do with national security. So what Ms. Boudreau said to me was she went to the embassy in France And the Canadian embassy in France said, well, talk to the passport office. So she talked to the passport office. And the passport office predictably said talk to the Canadian embassy in Paris. So now that's one story. The other story that's been talked about internationally is that there were about 20 women who were found in a tunnel under Mosul in Iraq. Said he was controlled by ISIS. They were all carrying firearms, and they were wearing explosives vests. Two of the women are said to be Canadian. Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian. So what happens to them? And clearly, this isn't going to be a one-off situation where there are two women and we'll never hear about anybody else who decided to um, be radicalized and go and fight with terror organizations. Scott Newark is former crown attorney uh, and former senior policy advisor to the federal minister for public safety, also adjunct professor at Simon Fraser University where he teaches balancing civil rights with public safety, well, there's the whole point right there, Scott.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, this uh, case is something uh, we're going to discuss in uh, in our class uh, next week, and it's a situation that some of us have been warning about for uh, quite a while, because it was inevitable that uh, ISIS was going to be dismantled, and there's you know take all sorts of different numbers of probably at least um, five thousand of these uh, uh, Western. Uh, citizens who've gone uh, as a, who've have, uh, have been radicalized and have gone to fight in the jihad. Yes, the last estimate I think I saw was uh, 180 uh, from uh, Canada, and so um, th- this was inevitable that this was going to happen. And the question was, so what are we going to do with them once they're um, either captured or surrendered? Uh, what are we actually going to do with them? Because we want to figure something out and get it in place, frankly, before they. Potentially, somehow, just arrive at the uh, the airport. So, this question, I think, as you as you pointed out, this is the beginning, I think, of a significant um, e- development in how we're going to deal with this uh, new reality. And in Canada, in particular, there's an interesting little twist to it because we are also now, uh, you know, fully cognizant of the uh, opinions and uh, decisions of the Supreme Court of Canada in the Carter case about what constitutes uh, charter violations, charter rights violations by the Canadian government in how they may interact with these people who are actually captured, because I don't think many Canadians would be very happy to find ourselves having to issue another apology and $10.5 million to every one of them that are that are captured. So... Uh, this is now on the uh, the immediate uh, doorstep of the government, and they're going to have to figure out exactly uh, how they're going to handle
0: it. Have they talked themselves into a hole with statements like, a Canadian is a Canadian is a well, Canadian? And let me just finish. Uh, is, do you get the sense that this government knows how to handle these situations? Because clearly a majority of Canadians think they dropped the ball several times in the Cotter case.
1: Yeah. Uh, for me, the biggest thing is uh, on the Cotter case is the hypocrisy of the government in trying to convince Canadians or con Canadians into thinking, oh, you know, we had no other option, we had to do this. The uh, Supreme Court charter decision meant that we had to, you know, do it, and it would have cost us even more money to go to court. That's nonsense. That's just absolute nonsense. Uh, we talked about it before. Um, and, uh, look, governments are free to make decisions. That's what democracy is all about. But um, voters are also free to hold them to account for the decisions they yeah. make and the priorities they
0: reflect. Scott, if you've got two young women, who are proven to be Canadian, who were members of ISIS and probably philosophically and in their hearts still members of ISIS, uh, found with firearms, found with explosives vests, in a tunnel underneath Mosul. Doesn't take a, a science major to figure out what the intent was. Um, well,
1: I did, Roy. That's one of the questions. I mean, for example, were they captured? Did they surrender? Were they rescued? That's one of the things we want to make sure exactly. Well,
0: if you're going to surrender, you're not going to be wearing the explosives vest necessarily or having a firearm in your hand.
1: There are reports of these people being brainwashed into doing this and threatened into doing this as well, too, by these different groups. The point of it is is that we need to, as best we can, get all of the facts, to try to find out exactly what...
0: But doesn't that doing? take you into the whole area where you might have, for example, RCMP or CSIS individuals questioning them, yes. and then two years down the road it's, oh, my charter rights were violated just as Omar Khadr's was. Get the apology and the checkbook ready.
1: Well, that's the whole point, uh, Roy, is that we need to learn from these experiences to make sure we do things correctly so that that doesn't take place, right? Uh, they're apparently in custody. It sounds like they're but that's not president rocket president science. In Baghdad. At the airport, and um, you know, our consular officials presumably will go and see them. But it's a question then of how we actually proceed because there's a lot of questions we want to ask them, like um, how were they radicalized? Who radicalized them? Are they still present in Canada? How did they get recruited to ISIS? Who facilitated their departure and arrival in Syria? Those are all legitimate... I, I get that.
0: But the fear is, if I understand it correctly, and you're much better at this than I am, so I'll ask the layman's question. The fear is that if you ask those questions, and if you were to share them with an ally, or even perhaps if you were to share them with another agency within the Canadian government, you might have a lawyer step up and say... Well, my client's charter rights were violated, and there's precedent. The precedent is called Omar Khadr. Yeah,
1: but that's the reason why you have to do it differently, because, for example, are the Iraqis going to prosecute them? There's an, One of the uh, women that was captured was a German, and there's stories about her, and there yeah. are calls by an Iraqi MP d- because the Germans are saying we want her sent back to Germany. Because
0: she was a threat in Germany before she went to Iraq.
1: Well, actually, no, not this particular case. But the point is, and it would be the same here in Canada, these women could be prosecuted for what they did in Iraq. They could be prosecuted in Canada, but they're perhaps, and they almost certainly could, be prosecuted in Iraq. So, Mm -hmm. for example, do we say to the Iraqis, okay, we'd like you to extradite them to Canada and we'll prosecute them, or do we, for example, say, well, if you prosecute them, we will agree. We'll enter into agreement with uh, with you, pursuant to the International Transfer Offenders Act, just like we did with Omar Khadr to bring him back here. Those are we going to ask the Iraqis to simply transfer the individuals back here? Uh, the, what you were talking about at the at the beginning of the segment about the deradicalization—that's got to be a big component in it as no, well. I understand as, that as to how we deal with them.
0: But now we're now we're now we're scared about. Now we're scared to ask questions. No. Yeah.
1: No, I don't I don't. Um, I don't yeah, agree we are. with that, and I think the, that's why the Cotter case should have gone to court. Because yeah, I, absolutely. As, the, uh, as I said previously, given Cotter's family's relationships, uh, CESAs would have been negligent had they not gone to get that information. Exactly. The point is that we now have this uh, ruling from the Supreme Court of Canada so we can reflect on how we tweak operational issues to make sure we're not in breach of anything, any charter. Good
0: God. Uh, Scott, you know, I'm just the again. I'm the simple guy. I say there are questions to be asked. Ask them. Correct. End of story.
1: Well, it's, except thanks to um, the Supreme Court of Canada and the Trudeau government, it's a little more complicated. Yeah, I know.
0: Than that. I know. I'm just giving you my point of view. Yeah. I understand well, what the reality you know, of the point it about
1: is. This is uh, uh, in particular, Roy. This is just the beginning. There's going to be many, many more of this. We're, I think we need to keep, a, frankly, an international database, on, irrespective of what we actually do mm-hmm. with these individuals, so that we understand who they are. Because, listen, I guarantee you, uh, lots of these people will have just blended into the uh, quotation marks refugees, found their way to Europe, getting new yeah, identities, yeah. trying to come back. Yeah, we this is a, a changing factual reality that we need to deal with.
0: Let me just take a quick break. Um, one thing I'll, I'll, I want to ask you, and maybe think about it during the break, and I'm, I'm sure you've thought about it before, but what I was thinking the other day was maybe it's time to have an international um, uh, court of some kind or, or a body of some kind that debriefs these people. You know, when, when you find them, they were members of the terrorist organizations who fought against um, Western countries, uh, but actually have a Western passport. Maybe there has to be an international court of some kind that uh, that that does the questioning and doesn't have to worry about someone's charter rights being violated because a Canadian CSIS interrogator passed on information to their American counterparts when you know darn well, as Scott said to us a couple of weeks ago, more than likely the Americans were taping what Carter was saying in his cell anyway at Guantanamo. We'll come back. It's the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network.
1: Roy may be a lot of things, but shy isn't one of them. He never backs down from a good debate.
0: This is the Roy Green Show on the the Chorus Chorus Radio Radio Network. Network. I'm on Twitter at The Roy Green Show. Tweet me there. Follow me on Twitter at The Roy Green Show. Emails to Roy at RoyGreenshow.com. You can also listen back to any segment, including this one, on our show page, which will show up on uh, the website of any of the chorus radio stations carrying this program. Scott Newark is uh, with me, former Crown Attorney in Alberta, adjunct professor at Simon Fraser University, teaches the balancing of civil rights. With public safety, former senior policy advisor to the then federal minister for public safety and uh, former executive director of the Canadian Police Association. Scott, what about, if if we're worried about, and we can only talk about the Canadian end of things because that's the only one I'm familiar with, but if we're worried about questioning people because we might in some way, and it depends on the interpretation of a judge or a court, um, be violating their charter rights, is there... Is there a possibility of putting together an international body that would take over that responsibility?
1: Well, first of all, uh, keep in mind on the Cotter case that the uh, uh, the court ruled that the uh, the violation was not in what the the uh, what the Americans did because the Charter doesn't apply to provide protections to Canadians who are in other countries. It was because of the Canadian interaction with them. I happen to think that what you've suggested. Um, is exactly the direction that the Western world, and indeed even, for example, the Arab League or the uh, Organization of Islamic Cooperation, that it would be in their best interest to do. I don't know that i do it necessarily as a court, per se, but certainly as a processing center, so that when these individuals, like the 20 women that we're talking about, are, are actually captured or detained or rescued, call it whatever the factual situation is, that they go there for interviews, uh, you know, you could, do, you could build things in so that uh, they even have access to counsel. But the point of it is is that it would be done in such a way you could combine it with de-radicalization programs so that in advance the home countries could get the information and, number one, make sure, as best they possibly could, that the individuals that wanted to return, in fact, they knew about what their activities were, and they had the information necessary to use the appropriate measures. In Canada, that might be, for example, instead of a prosecution, it might be in using one of the 10.011 terrorism peace bonds. Okay? You might even have situations, Roy, where you had people who um, have decided that, okay, fine, they don't want to engage in these kinds of terrorist activities anymore, but they want to live in an Islamic society. So that's why I would include groups like the Organization for Islamic Cooperation that could facilitate them getting approval to, for example, go live in an Islamic society instead of in Canada.
0: Yeah, and it you might, know what, were, not been done. while you were, t- were talking, I was thinking that you know no two people are going to be exactly the same when they're discovered after having had uh, their allegiances to groups like al-Qaeda or ISIS. And now they've been captured and uh, they're under the control of whatever nation has captured them. Uh, no two people are going to respond exactly the same way. So if you had an independent third body that were to glean the information, and I only said court because it's the first thing that came to yep. my mind, but if you had an th- independent third body that were to glean that information and then do whatever they approved collectively to do and it fell within the, within the parameters of the laws of, of Western countries, it was to the satisfaction maybe of an international court of human rights or whatever, uh, then you could go ahead and you could debrief them in a way that would be approved, and then they, whatever they said to you could be used against them or against somebody else, or to even protect them if necessary.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, that, that I think is exa- exactly the point. You take these uh, uh, the two Canadian uh, women. Um, if uh, They may well be people who were radicalized and then got recruited into this and got engaged in behaviors that they don't obviously intend to continue on in Canada. And so that kind of an interaction might actually help us say to the Iraqis, um, like, you know, we will take care of this, but we'll do it through our legislative system with these peace bonds, as opposed to necessarily locking somebody up, okay? Uh, so in other words, it would be uh, we would like you to um, allow them to be repatriated mm-hmm. in Canada, and we will, you know, undertake, we'll, Tell you what we're going, to, what steps
0: we're actually going to take. Okay, Scott, let me let me just stop so you there. Actually, help potentially the the person involved. Okay, it? so I have to take a break. We're going to hang up. You're going to listen to the, uh, or do you yeah. want to stay on the phone and whatever? We'll work it out. We're going to play that interview with Christiane Boudreau, and okay. then I'd like to ask you for your thoughts after we play it. Okay. Okay, Scott Newark York is with me, Roy Green Show Chorus Radio Network. We're going to when we come back, play the interview that I recorded about two hours ago with Christiane Boudreau, the mother of the 22-year-old Damien, who converted to Islam, became radicalized, and joined ISIS and fought with ISIS and was killed in a firefight in 2014. She can't get back into Canada. You'll hear her explain what's going on, and then we'll get Scott's assessment of the situation.